Welcome back to Business of Film, a crafttruck.com podcast. My name is Jesse Eichmann, and this is episode number eight. Now, before we dive into the episode, just a couple quick housekeeping things. Uh, Business of Film is going to have a new home. If you've been listening to this on the Craft Truck feed, uh, we're only going to be here for another couple episodes. We've set up a separate podcast just for the Business of Film, which is going to come out weekly. And so I encourage you to go to crafttruck.com, click on the Business of Film podcast, and that'll have a link where you can go to subscribe to uh, this specific feed, or just go on iTunes or wherever you happen to be listening to this feed and type in Business of Film or Craft Truck, and we'll come up. But just to let you know that we're only going to be here on the feed that you're currently listening to for another couple weeks, just so that, you know, we can manage the crossover, but after that, what you will get on this current feed is Craft Truck Uncut, which is going to be our uncut audio interviews with cinematographers and editors. And then if you want to continue listening to just the Business of Film podcast, head on over to Business of Film in iTunes at crafttruck.com where there are links and subscribe directly to this feed. So it's kind of exciting. You can now count on a Business of Film podcast to come out weekly. At least we are going to do our very best to make that happen for you. And uh, that's all there is on that front. Okay, on to today's episode. We are here with Mia Bruno. She is the Acquisitions Manager at Gravitas Ventures. If you don't know Gravitas, then I think at the end of this podcast, you will, and you will certainly want to get to know them better. Uh, Mia is an incredible ambassador for the company. She's an awesome person. She is a filmmaker's filmmaker, and that is to say she's very filmmaker-friendly, and I think that speaks volumes for the company. So enjoy this podcast, and sorry for the long intro. Just wanted to make sure that you know where to find us in the weeks to come. And here we go. Mia Bruno. Hello, Mia. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, so before we get going, uh, Mia Bruno, Acquisitions Manor, Manager over at uh, Gravitas uh, Ventures. Is Gravitas Ventures, is, 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 is that how you, you, you brand yourself or Gravitas Features? Yes, Gravitas Ventures. Um, I think it was important when they created this back in 2006 that they wanted to be Ventures and not film specific. Um, they are the creators of Gravitas are Ohio-based business people, or one person specifically. Um, and I think that he had, you know, wanted to to keep that open. And just you know, but before we get into you know all all the good things that is Gravitas, maybe you can just take a minute and tell our listeners about you. You know, where, what what's your background? Uh, how did you find your way to this uh, uh, to this company and, and and what you do there? Wow. Okay. Um, well, my parents are both writers. Um, my father actually wrote the book uh, that the film The Iceman is based on. So my father interviewed serial killers, and my mother wrote uh, books about sex. So I came from a background of sex and violence, and I kind of, uh, that informed my decision to want to work in the entertainment industry, Um, although I saw from the creative side that it was very difficult, so I think um, that, that again, sort of helped push me in the direction that I I knew I wanted to work in film, but I didn't want to have a struggling artist's life. Um, So I studied film in college. I actually studied film in French. I worked in France for a year 
teaching English. So it wasn't incredibly film-centric. I, I went to the Cannes Festival. Um, I took classes at French universities, so now I have very pretentious tastes. Um, speaking French isn't totally useful to me in my career now, but I, I do. Um, well, and you, you, I, you know, we could switch this whole you know podcast over to, to French. I, I'm from Montreal. I, if, if you want, I you knew want... that. <laughs> I actually looked you up on LinkedIn and I saw that, and there was a part of me that was like, "Can we really do this?" Um, we I don't know have... if you want. No, no, we, 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 can't, we... we can keep it in English. I, I think we should. I'll probably alienate ninety percent of the audience if we switch to French. But okay, <laughs> but I appreciate. I, it, I do appreciate. Yeah. Cool. Um, so anyway, I was living in New York. Um, I was an assistant to a couple of producers there. Um, just the the industry was very it was difficult to to find work, and so I reconciled myself to the fact that I'd probably have to move to Los Angeles if I wanted to continue in film. Um, I saw a random posting for Gravitas Ventures. Um, I'd never heard of it. I didn't know what video on demand was. I don't own a television. I am completely not technology technologically apt, um, but they had asked me to write an essay about what I thought the future of film was, and it was, I just took to it, and I, I think I wrote a pretty good essay, and they brought me in and, and hired me, so I've been here for over two and a half years now. Awesome. So I, I, I guess you, you've gone from knowing nothing about, you know, the digital space to knowing a whole heck of a lot. I do know a whole heck of a lot. I still don't know how to turn on the television or any of the devices that we have here. You know, but I know I, I know what they contain. You know, I, it actually reminds me. There, there was this picture um, of uh, Jeff Bezos's desk at Amazon, and it was, you know, it was. It, it probably looked like your desk or my desk, right? Where there was just a million wires hanging from the back, and you still had no idea what wire went into what gadget. That's that's kind of how I picture things, but now I, I hope things are, are are a little bit cleaner. Yes. Um, now yes. I I should mention, you know, before we go on, I already have the title for this podcast. It's going to be called "Sex and Violence." Mia Bruna. Yep, go for that. Yeah, yeah. You so think that'll sell for my life? Yeah, because <laughs> I, I mean, I still traffic in sex and violence. Well. And- Films related to sex and violence. I won't say actual sex and violence. Thank God. <laughs> awesome. So let's 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 dive in here to uh, to Gravitas. Can can you actually, if you wanted to describe the brand of the company, how would you describe? It? Um, well, I think that's an interesting question. I think for a long time we were very heavily branded as a video on demand company because at that. You know, in 2006, I shouldn't say like it's a distant past, but I think video on demand was a more confusing, obscure concept. And I think a lot of what we did in that time was an education in terms of filmmakers who were not getting the typical distribution deals. And here was this other option. Um, I think maybe in the past year and a half, we've transitioned more to a independent distributor because I think VOD has become inclusive of what the past is for independent films these days. So um, now we do put out films theatrically. Um, you know, we'll do a day and date release where the film goes out concurrently in theaters and on video on demand. And I, I think it is much more of our focus to be an independent film distributor and, you know, inclusive within that is video on demand. And, and just to sort of dive, dive into that question a little bit more, how do you want filmmakers to think about your company? 
Uh, I think we want them to think of us as a premier option for getting their films out. And I think, you know, we, we have a variety of different filmmakers that we work with. We go to major festivals like Sundance, um, South by Southwest, and those are usually the films that, that we're going to do a larger theatrical option. And then we have filmmakers that, you know, we find in any variety of ways. I think living in Los Angeles, going to a bar, you're apt to meet a filmmaker. So, you know, we do put out a wide variety of films, and I think what we try and do is be selective in what we choose so that we can find films that actually will perform and, you know, help filmmakers to make the next one. Uh, when you, because you know you're 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 very front facing in terms of your connection you know directly with filmmakers and the filmmaker filmmaking community. Uh, how do you like to be contacted about films by filmmakers, and when do you like that dialogue to start? Um, that is a good question. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, we I think have become much more aggressive in contacting filmmakers before, you know, the film is available in a festival or things like that. You know, we scour Kickstarter, IMDb Pro. These are all places that we look to go. Um, there is an open submissions on the Gravitas website, and that, that is definitely a way to contact us. Um, I am the one who combs through all of our submissions. It's in the thousands, I'm sure. Um, so, so there is a variety of ways and a variety of ways that we will work with a filmmaker. But, you know, we're... So much of the ethos of this company is transparency and accessibility, and so we do welcome filmmakers to, to contact us. Um, in terms of the stage of the film, that, that does depend. Typically, we're dealing with completed film. Um, th- that being said, especially for a project like Kick that's coming from Kickstarter or something like that, you know, we want to be involved at an early stage because I think so much of the filmmaking process now is very intrinsic to the distribution. And whereas before a distributor could come in at the end, you know, sweep the film away from a filmmaker and say, we're going to pour money into it. And, you know, you did your job and step off to the side. You know, we are very collaborative with the filmmaker. And so we want to be there, you know, when they're in post-production and say, okay, like these are things that you can do um, from the start that will help make a film. And I think, Something that I found to be very helpful in terms of the filmmakers that we work with is we have a lot of filmmakers that have come back to us and who have taken the education that they've gotten from us and been able to go on to make the next film. So I I do find that encouraging because I think, you know, especially coming from a background where, you know, my family was trafficking in art, you know, there, there has to be an awareness of the commercial viability, which, you know, if you want to have a career as an artist, it's sort of a necessity. And just, I, I guess, but before we go on, I, I think it bears some time just to talk about um, how you work on a practical basis with, you know, any film or film product. So, you know, when I think of obviously a traditional distributor, and I don't want to say that you're not a traditional distributor, but you do sort of, I guess, position yourselves as as more technologically savvy, I suppose, but we can get into that a bit. But just in terms of the the windowing, how you work with films. Can you sort of just take me through um, uh, kind of a hypothetical example? Somebody comes in or you're looking at a near-finished film. Take me through your process of how you think about film distribution. When it, when, you know, I I, want to understand, you know, I want to understand how you think about film and film distribution specifically from, you know, your perspective. 
you mean in terms of selecting the film or once the film has been selected and then we bring it through the process? Once the film has been selected and you're bringing it through the process, I, I, I guess just to be clear on the question, you know, I, I want to understand, you know, why are you different, let's say, than another distributor that might be out there trying to do the same thing you are? How do you position yourself as being different if you do see yourself that way? And then once you have the film in in, in your hands, you know, just walk me through, and I know each film is different, but but walk me through, you know, a, uh, uh, how you think about distribution in terms of, you know, getting the product out there to the end consumer. Okay, sure. Um, I mean, we're certainly not the only digital distributor. Um, there are several companies that work in that way as well. Um, something that I've always found encouraging, I know this perhaps leans a bit touchy-feely, but I think the personalities of the people in this company have always been a, sell- a really, you know, winning attribute. I think, you know, many of the people that work at Gravitas, and we are not a large company, we are 10 people, um, our filmmakers themselves, I am not, but I, you know, I love psychology, I love human interaction, and I think having an ability to talk to a filmmaker and be able to say, you know, here are the actual facts about how your film is going to go out and what your prospects are in making it, but also the fact that, like, you know, you may be a title, you may be a product that we're dealing with, but, you know, we still feel that it's a unique project and we are excited to work with it. There's always opportunity to do things, and that's why we choose the films that we work on. And I've really found that that is a huge component, and it's it's my personal favorite part of the job. I, I like dealing with people on films because, you know, even though on the business side they are titles and hours to be supplied to various content providers, you know, to the person that you're talking to, this is their baby. This is the film that their family financed or their mother was the makeup artist and their father was the caterer. So, you know, it's that, that balance between product versus cinema, and I think I, I enjoy holding that balance together. Um, so, you know, I think in terms of the actual logistics of what makes us different, we have very established relationships in the cable space and digital space. Um, and I think we really look for the opportunities for our film specifically to really, you know, a, a expression I used recently that a filmmaker commended me for was uh, that we have nuance, finesse, and reach. So I think that's really like tantamount that. right now because um, the the industry itself has changed so much. When Gravitas started before my time, um, I'm told there were like 30 films in a cable folder. There was a lot less selection in terms of what people chose. And these days, there's, you know, hundreds of films. It is flooded. So I think it's really, you know, essential that we're finding films that, first of all, we think that we can do something with because that's sometimes the heartbreaking reality that it may be a wonderful film, but it's just, we know that it will not perform in the marketplace. And we'd rather be upfront with a filmmaker and say that than to, you know, take them to this process and have them be bitterly disappointed at the end. Um, so we want to be choosing films that we know that we can do something with, that we can, we can help a filmmaker have a hit. So I think, you know, having that really transparent, honest dialogue from the start and knowing what we can do in our capacity, I think that creates a very honest relationship, and I think that really does help motivate people to come work with us. So I think that was the first half of your question. 
And then the second half in terms of walking through the process. Um, so we will acquire films, and just to use a film that isn't going out theatrically, just as an example, uh, we work within three windows in a video-on-demand space. So there's a transactional window, a subscription video-on-demand window, and an ad-sponsored uh, VOD window as well. So it's basically bringing the film through its whole life within the space and also finding opportunities where it can be spotlighted, highlighted, you know, mentioned, um, you know, have a sort of curatorial aspect to what we're putting out and making our platforms aware of that so that they can be, you know, creating visibility. I think something that we work very hard for is not just um, the proliferation within 100 million homes, which is what we estimate our reach to be these days, but also visibility within those 100 million homes. Because what good is the title that's going to go into an A to Z category if it doesn't have Tom Cruise in it? You know, we want these smaller titles to be really coming up to the forefront and popping so people will, you know, take a chance on it. And, you know, I think it's just the reality that people are apt to click on what's in front of them versus searching through things. So... That's really um, very important to us in terms of, of our business model. So where do you see theatrical now sitting in terms of your business model? Because I know you mentioned that you are starting just starting now to take out uh, films theatrically. So can you talk a little bit about you know how you think about uh, the theatrical window, um, given that you're also working in those other three spaces, as you mentioned, transactional, SVOD? And, and was the third one ad-sponsored VOD? Mm-hmm. Okay, so so where so where do you see theatrical fitting now with your you know overall model? Well, I would say we've been doing this for at this point maybe two years, um, so it's really nothing new to us. I think we're really seeing the benefit of having films go out theatrically, and I think what's starting to happen now is whereas before just to have a film go out theatrically was enough because it was placed in premium placing like in theaters folders on a cable operator, you know, you know, early release on an iTunes platform or things like that, I think we see that the platforms are becoming increasingly more selective about this. So it's no longer simply engineering a day and date release. It's it's very being selective and thinking this is a film that merits being in this placement. So I think that that's really elevated the films that we're looking to acquire. Um, because I think it is getting more competitive. And I'm excited by that. To, to have really good films coming in that are, um, you know, competitive in this, within the space but are also merit that placement. So I, I think it is certainly a time of change. Um, I think from case studies like uh, The Bachelorette and Arbitrage, it's industry-wide news that these are, the day-and-date model is very successful. And so now I think it's becoming, you know, not merely the fact that it's a day and date to give it that extra lift, but a film that has its own merits, festival credential, cast, story. Um, so I, I, you know, I hope we're moving into a, a period of time where, again, we're going back to the quality of a film that will help make it succeed. Um, I am curious. Uh, can you give me an example of an ad-sponsored VOD title uh, or how ad-sponsored VOD works? I don't, I don't hear a lot about that, and I just want to, you know, get into the little bit of the specifics on, on what that really entails. Sure. Um, well, we typically don't release this on just an ad-sponsored DOD window. We really like to bring them through all three so that they have as much upper, uh, opportunity as possible in whatever um, avenue people are watching film. The ad-sponsored window 
uh, is typically you, Hulu is the prime example of that. So it's where the film is ostensibly free, but there's ad breaks within it. And what we've seen at the end of a film's life, after it goes through cable and iTunes and Netflix, to have a film go up on Hulu where it doesn't have that paywall has, can really add a very healthy financial bump at the end because, you know, again, we're working for placement to have it up in a carousel, um, to have the film very visible. And, you know, we've seen that there are very healthy numbers in that, in that last window. That's great. Okay. Um, so I guess just moving on to the question that's on my mind, which is how do you go about choosing your product? And obviously I'm going to, in answering that question, I'm going to take one card off the table. You're not allowed to play with the, I love this film. <laughs> so, uh, besides that, the, the obviously subjectivity of, you know, the magic of each individual unique film, what are the things that you're looking for from, uh, a content strategy perspective, uh, you know, what's working in the market today, what you look for in terms of either packaging or cast, you know, uh, I want to attack the question from a less subjective angle than, you know, we, we need to find stuff we love, which I think is, should be a given, obviously. Yes. You know, I, I, I almost wish the answer was more of the movies I love. Not that I don't love all of our films, but, True. um, you know, as I said before, I love, black and white French movies. That is not typically the sort of film that Gravitas will take. And I think there's a big difference between the films that I personally love and the films that I understand will perform very well in the beauty space. Um, so it, it was definitely a learning curve when I started here. But I think, you know, we see these, we see what's working and, and we look very carefully and analyze these things and, and it certainly informs our decision. Um, I would say these days what, I cannot emphasize enough is cast. Um, and this is the feedback that we get from across the board cable and digital providers. Just a film is, I don't want to say completely dependent, but it, it makes a very large difference between a film that has cast and this cast that is recognizable and notable, um, in terms of what these executives feel, and a film that doesn't. I mean, I think we get a lot of really wonderful small dramas that come in, and a drama with no cast is just something that that's very, very difficult for us to work with because there just isn't an appetite that we're seeing for that. Um, so it's, I don't want to say an unfortunate reality, but it, it is a reality in terms of what we see. Um, and the other thing that I think is very interesting is I think that there is different appetites. I think a digital provider will be more apt to go with up-and-coming cast, whereas a cable provider is, is happier with more stalwart actors like Kathleen Turner or something like that. But that being said, those notable names do make a big difference. Um, I think genre always performs. Um, it is actually somewhat incredible to me. A catchy title that's like early in the alphabet, I know this is a new knowledge, but it really does make a tremendous difference. Um, you know, a horror film called 69 Zombies is going to find an audience. So that, again, informs our decision. Um, I think in terms of the higher level things that we're working on, in that aspect, we can be more selective in terms of this has a lot of critical acclaim. This is a film that had a, a wide festival run. Um, and this, in terms of those, the, the films that we really are going to nurture and really work uh, like with a PR company to, to get out into the space. But in terms of the films that, you know, we're hoping they have a stronger legs to stand on on their own, genre titles, uh, 
titles that begin early in the alphabet, um, thing, things that are catchy. Artwork is a huge component. Um, we work very, very closely with our filmmakers to make sure that they have artwork that's really going to stand out on a platform. Um, and as I had mentioned before, I think there are films that are going to succeed in different places. Uh, we had a documentary called The Institute, which played at Slam Dance last year. It had tremendous artwork. Um, it's about this, I know they don't like the word cult, but for lack of a better word, uh, in this brief description, it's about a cult that was started in San Francisco. And um, this film just did tremendously well on iTunes. I think a, we, we can identify a film now for an iTunes audience versus a cab- cable audience because an, an iTunes audience, I think, tends to be younger, maybe more cinephile, more intellectual. Um, quirky documentaries do tremendously well on iTunes, whereas a horror film may perform better on cable. Horror is still something that we see people want to watch in a living room collectively on a big screen to get that all-encompassing, fearful experience. So I think when we choose a film, we, we go into it knowing where we think it will do well. Um, and most films do tend to have one or the other where we think have a stronger life when you see uh, a film so let's say let's say you haven't even seen the movie but and i'm it's interesting because i've i've heard this from a number of people it's almost better to buy a film when you're not at a you know at a film festival and when you've got some distance so uh i'm kind of coming at this question from this perspective which is because I, 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 I'm getting a sense from talking with you that you do spend a lot of time looking at, you know, the analytics and the numbers and seeing what's working. So if someone were to say to you, this is the name of my film, this is who's in it, and here's the artwork, you know, would is, is that enough almost for you to make a, a buy, not buy decision? Could you, could, I don't think so. I mean, there's, there's still a very, we spend hours and hours and hours watching movies. Um, certainly when it comes to anything that we're going to invest in, we want to have watched it. Multiple people at this company want to have watched it. Um, you know, we come from so many different backgrounds. Most of the people at Gravitas love sports. I do not. Um, but I think the films that where we've made a heavy investment, it's the ones that we, you know, are good movies. Uh, I remember because we did uh, the documentary Sound City um, that Dave Grohl directed that was put out at Sundance. Obviously, it was that story is, is quite interesting. Uh, it was a cold call. They called my number, and they were like, you're not going to believe this, but uh, we're calling. We're Sound City, and we'd like to talk to you. We've heard great things. Um, so I went up with uh, the president of Gravitas, Michael Murphy, and we saw 10 minutes of the film. And obviously not, not enough to know what the film was about, but, and, you know, clearly, clearly, it's Dave Grohl, Stevie Nicks, Tom Petty, you know, every musician in the world, like, this is a huge sell. Of course, it was something that we want to work on. And I remember Michael said something to me, and he said it will make a tremendous difference whether this movie is good or not. Obviously, we couldn't tell um, in 10 minutes. And, you know, we, we acquired the film before it was actually complete. But I just remember, you know, when we first finally saw the final cut, and it started getting reviews, and it's, you know, it's a tremendous film. I say that objectively. It is a great film, and it just made such a difference. It's, I think it, it does make a difference to be able to have films that are, are really good, because in order to entrench yourself within that position in the industry, you want to be providing notable films, I think. And obviously, you know, if it's a business, I think with VOD, um, 
and I think this is common knowledge, it, it tends to be a volume business just because, because there's, it's an easier way to get out films instead of these precious theatrical releases. Um, but that being said, the ones that we are going out theatrically, we really want to have watched the film and to, to have that feedback before we make that decision. And it's usually that decision that informs, because oftentimes we'll have a film before they've created an art, uh, artwork or a trailer or anything like that, and that helps us be able to shape that. That's great. Now, I, actually, I think that's a wonderful answer. And uh, when, you, when, you, when you said, I, I guess that quote, that it makes a tremendous difference if it was good or if it was going to be good or not, uh, to me, that's just a wonderful answer, because I think it speaks more about I think that actually speaks more about the brand of your company than, than anything else, um, and that really tells me and, I, and I, uh, you know a lot about who you guys are, and and uh, I think it tells a lot to our listeners about who you guys are. So that's that's really cool. Um, can I ask you just about genres uh, and what genres are working right now? This is this is totally personal curiosity. I just love to hear from different people what they feel are the genres that you know are working right now in the space. Um, I mean, I think horror always is a very, very strong performer. I think, you know, again, I think there's becoming a split in horror because I think, it, as I had mentioned before, if you have a 69 Zombies, it's obviously a title that's going to work well, largely in a cable space. Um, I think there's more uh, opportunity for those tried-and-true catchy titles going up in cable, whereas I think iTunes, or a digital provider, not necessarily iTunes, but like Xbox, PlayStation, these gaming consoles, um, and also to some extent iTunes, uh, are, are really excellent places for a, a more interesting um, horror title to go up. So, you know, a film that came out earlier this year called Maniac, which was a remake starring Elijah Wood. You know, it's obviously a horror film with some artistic integrity. That one did very well. Um, we had a film called Jug Face that came out of uh, Slam Dance last year as well. Um, really, really cool, bizarre movie, weird artwork. Uh, certainly wasn't like your typical uh, ghost zombie type thing. It was. It's about a pit that demands human sacrifices. So, again, I think that the digital platforms tend to be more redemptive for, you know, for lack of a better word, perhaps before intellectual films that aren't just necessarily giving everything away with it all. Right. Now, um, the, 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 the film festival circuit, I know you mentioned before that you attend a lot of the major film festivals. Do you find yourself, uh, and, and I assume you do, but... Uh, are you now finding yourself competing against all of your uh, competitors in the space for films that you see in film festivals? And by that, I mean, um, you know, where do you position yourself in terms of, you know, you'll, you, you uh, let me come at this a different way. Do you aggressively go after titles that you see at film festivals, financially or otherwise? Yes, yes definitely. Um, Again, I think, well, in the beginning of Gravitas, it was, you know, we were getting a certain level of film that was just coming in, um, and I think it was a less aggressive pursuit. These days, we are absolutely at the forefront of festivals, making bids. You know, we, we want to be in that space, and, and yes, it's certainly gotten more competitive, but, but that's definitely where we are. And... Let's just talk about expectations for just for just a second, um, because there's been 
there's been, I guess, uh, dis- you know, discussion online that you can follow from, you know, the Steven Soderbergh's and the John Slosses who are out there, you know, and, and even Dylan Marchetti over in Variance, you know, who are, who are, I think, fairly transparent or trying to be very transparent with the numbers. Now, getting getting to any place that is transparent in this business, I think is particularly difficult. So to the extent that just because it's A, very confusing, B, always changing, um, and C, I think a lot of the quote-unquote numbers have kind of hidden behind, you know, to a certain extent, the veil of secrecy. So can you set the agenda for what people, and I know it's film specific, so I'm going to take my own question with, with a grain of salt, but you know, what should filmmakers' expectations be, you know, uh, working in this new digital day and age? Um, yes, unfortunately, you took the words out of my mouth. Of course, it's very film-specific. Um, I think a film that has cast that's going out theatrically can be making in the six figures to seven figures. Um, a film that's a good genre film that, uh, you know, has great artwork could be mid five to low six figures. Um, so I, I would say in that range, usually, um, you know, of course there are the titles that really don't perform and, you know, those can be very low numbers, which is unfortunate. Um, and that's why we try to select the films that will be in that upper echelon. But, you know, the other thing that I will speak to, and, you know, I remember one of the first things I was told upon working here is, like, you have to give honest estimates. Like, don't inflate the numbers because, you know, a filmmaker that has been told the truth, even if it's disappointing, is going to be more appreciative than to have this inflated expectations. And I think because there is so much mystery surrounding it, and, you know, I think so many people look to us to have this knowledge of, you know, look into your crystal ball and tell me what my film will make, I, you know, I think, of course, it changes. It, it is hard to predict. Um, I think I think we have a lot of analytics that help inform us in that decision, but, you know, sometimes a film that we, we really hope will do very well just doesn't. Um, in terms of collecting those numbers, it you know, with VOD, it, it's just a little bit tricky. On a platform like iTunes, we can, you know, see those numbers as they come up. It's, it's much easier, but with a, a cable operator, you have to think, you know, Anyone who's ordering these films from their provider is going to have to get a monthly bill and then pay it and then get it back to the cable operator. So, you know, it is a period of time. And because we like to report these things collectively, we usually like to hold off before we have complete numbers. Um, you know, I, I do think that's changing, especially with John Plus and, you know, the Weinstein Company being much more open and aggressive about presenting their numbers. So I, I think it's an evolving situation. Um, you know, I think BOD has lost a lot of the stigma of being, you know, this desecrated option for films. And I think along with that, it will um, have a lot of evolution in terms of, of what filmmakers can expect by going this route. Can you give any kind of a, I don't, I don't want to say case study example, but are there any films to which you, you can actually uh, talk specifically or about or, or 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 no and if it's no that's cool too i'm just i'm just i'm asking again just uh i'm just trying to find as much information as i can out of you on this phone call that's what i'm trying to do yeah um, i mean I, I i can give you general examples um sound city for instance um you know we started talking to them they finished the film that went out sundance of last year we put the film out um 
I believe it was February 1st, directly following its release, and not just in North America, but we put it out worldwide. It's just something that we've really been uh, endeavoring into this year, that, you know, we put it out, I believe, in 92 countries on the same day. Um, this film is still, I believe, what the iTunes today could be, like, in the top 30 on iTunes. It's just obviously a very, very strong title. Um, that film will return seven figures. Um, you know, that's obviously a very strong example. Um, but, again, it, it does depend. I, I don't know if that exactly answered your question. Uh, I, I mean, look, I'm, I, I, I know with these things, it's, I mean, to get any... To get any kind of concrete sort of, you know, 360 view of the world right now is is difficult. And to to be fair, we kind of piece this information just from from doing lots and lots and lots of these 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 phone calls and talking with lots of people. And I think that having this information at least available for filmmakers uh, to the extent that they can get as much information as they can, I think it helps inform them. It helps them think about you know. Uh, their budgets helps them think about the cast helps them think about you know how much they should really spend on their movie in terms of you know you know if they're going to make an indie drama for a million dollars well maybe they're better off you know making an equally compelling creative story of you know horror movie for three hundred thousand dollars you know I mean these are the kinds of things that certainly as a producer or filmmaker that that one would think about so um, th- that's kind of yeah. where I, that's kind of how I approach the question is just just trying to you know cool you know create as much of a three sixty understanding of the space that we're living in right now. I mean, I think that's probably outside of my job the question I tend to answer the most. I think probably almost everyone in my personal life is in some way an artist or working in this industry. And, you know, I, I think I often get like, well, okay, I'm making this movie, what should I do? So I, I feel like I talk about this a lot in my life because I, I think you're right. I think it's vital for a filmmaker to know, like, should I be spending, you know, $500,000 on making a film when maybe I could make it for 100000 because what what is the return going to look like? Um, I, I think it comes in at different levels, and, and I think it, again, this is why we like to have these relationships with filmmakers because then we can say from the start, like, are you making uh, a horror film? Like, does there have a special angle? Like, maybe it's a Christmas horror film, which might make it better. Like, do you, maybe you can't afford a, a big-name actor, but can you get a YouTube star? Like, are there lasciviously dressed women in your artwork? Like, these are all things that I think, you know, having that one little piece may make it a little bit better. Having, you know, I, I think... For the, the first piece of advice for filmmakers, to have some awareness of where you stand in the business. Obviously, you know, keep your precious, brilliant, artistic values and sensibilities, but just to have some sensibility of, like, this is a business, too, and what can I offer? Where do I stand with everyone else? And I, and I think to have that awareness is such a huge asset because it also makes conversations with a, a distributor a lot easier for us to be able to say, like, you know, we really like your movie, um, we don't anticipate that every, you know, that every cable operator is going to want to spotlight it, but we see that it will have a modest life. I think that's a great start. Um, you know, I've known filmmakers that have gone through us that, you know, their film may not have made bajillions of dollars, but they've gotten a manager after that. And so then it's like the next step up. So I think, you know, 
And that being said, if you're an established filmmaker, if you have a track record, if your films have gone to Sundance and have cast in them, like, then you're just at a different level where you may be anticipating things. But for a first-time filmmaker, I think to, I think you're absolutely right. And, and you're right. Perhaps it wasn't the best example to use somebody because that's clearly a level that many, many filmmakers will not reach. But... You know, what I had written in my essay to get into Gravitas was, what, what do you think is the future of um, independent cinema? And I had said what I hoped, and this was before that I worked at Gravitas, was that um, it could be like another golden age after the 70s. But because there are all these outlets for filmmakers to put out films, that there's a lot more accessibility into to having a film that people would see. And, you know, I hope that that isn't a naive thought. I, I, I'm going to go with it once. Perhaps a little bit, but I think you have to have that hope because, you know, why else are we doing this? Just as I argue that filmmakers should understand that it's to recognize that film is also a business, I think businesses also need to realize that it's an art. And people pay money and generate revenue for a company because they love the product that you're putting out. So, um, you know, I, I think it's helpful to keep that in mind and to have, you know, that's what kept this industry in balance for all these years. So I think with VOD, it, it provides an opportunity that perhaps wasn't there before because it is a lot easier to get a film out. But to understand, okay, my film may make $25,000 this time. And the next time, you know, I'll go from that perspective. Maybe I have more festival credibility. I can afford bigger casts and then just build from there. And I guess kind of as, as we uh, as we get close to the end of this, you know, uh, podcast, um, I like to kind of close just talking about social media. Uh, where do you see social media sitting right now in the filmmaker's toolkit? I mean, there's, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, obviously Kickstarter and sure we can hold up Veronica Mars and and uh, Zach Braff's movie and, you know, and, and some of these, and, and, you know, movies that are, you know, maybe outliers, maybe they're not, but things like, you know, Gather and Tug and Kickstarter and, and using, you know, Twitter and Facebook and, you know, Tumblr to develop social media presences and all this kind of stuff. Um, does that really make a dent right now? And, is, and does that form part of your equation when you're looking at films? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that's a really good point. Um, social media can is 100% a motivating factor. I'm thinking of two films off the top of my head where, you know, we had this film from interest. It was a sound footage horror film. It looked decent. It didn't look tremendously different from others. We looked it up on Facebook, as we do with all of our films, because we want to see going in, does this film have any visibility? This film had 20,000 Facebook fans. And, you know, I don't know why that is. Why this film and not another film? I can't explain it, but that certainly is a hugely motivating factor for us that, you know, to acquire a film that comes in with 20,000 people that liked it enough to press a button. Um, you know, that, that's such a giant component of what we do because it's something that, you know, for the films that don't have it, it's something that we really work hard with filmmakers to start to cultivate. Um, another film we had was probably a little bigger of a film. It had 70,000 Facebook fans. Again, like, these are huge numbers. And I, I spoke to the filmmaker, and I was like, what did you do? Are you a marketing genius? And she was like, no, people just, they just like the movie. 
And, you know, what what better selling point than to just say, like, I come with a movie that already 70,000 people are excited about. Um, I think along with advice in terms of first-time filmmakers, like, to start to build that from the very beginning, to have a voice that people want to hear, um, you know, either in terms of yourself or your film, that is a giant selling point for a distributor. That's a great point. Um, and something that we've actually heard before on the podcast, which is basically plant the seeds of your film as early as possible. Yes. Socially, that yes. is. You know, just develop that social presence way before you ever start making your film. And I think it goes back to something that I said earlier, that the filmmaking process is no longer, you know, creating the film and stepping away. I think for the filmmakers that are going to be involved, we want them to be involved at every level. And in addition, you know, the way that we work, I, I like to say that Gravitas is often like a toolkit that a filmmaker can use. Obviously, we have, you know, the things that we'll do for it, but we want to be talking to a filmmaker all the time. We want to hear the latest review of the film got, the latest film festival it got, because it helps us be able to communicate that to the executives that we're talking about. So, you know, I'm always working with filmmakers on artwork. You know, somebody just sent me the opening of their film because they wanted to check the credit sequence. We want to be involved, but we also want our filmmakers to be involved because if we're going to be passionate about a project, we want people to stay passionate about their projects and to keep bringing that excitement in so that we can convey it out to the, the various places that we work with. Mia Bruno, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been really, really, really great. And I think there's uh, there's just tons of takeaways here. And I, I hope that uh, I hope that everybody who's listening to this now, you know, gets as much out of it as I did. So thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.